Hi, everyone. This is Mocha Sinus for Kids, and I'm Sarah McGarry. If you could switch the slide, please, that would be amazing. So today we have a presentation by Mr. Noah Matson, Deputy Assistant Director for My Migratory Birds U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. So please welcome him. And if you have any questions, just ask it at the end. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah, and thanks for inviting me to this program. So as Sarah said, I am the Deputy Assistant Director for Migratory Birds of the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. And I thought, I assume most of you don't, weren't very familiar with the Fish and Wildlife Service, so I thought I'd go over what we are and what we do. And to do that best, I have this cool video I'm going to show. Uh, it's only a minute, and then we'll get on with the presentation. Awesome. Whoops. So that gives a really visual overview of the Fish and Wildlife Service as we do so many things outdoors and for wildlife of all sorts. But we, we started over a hundred years ago uh, for a variety of reasons, but one of the primary reasons was actually had to do with bird conservation. And at the time there were um, uh, tremendous overharvest of migratory birds. And some of these pictures are startling. You have that, that whole pile there on one of those pictures is a pile of dead birds. And people were killing birds for a whole variety of reasons. One was actually for food. Um, and some were some birds were pests to agriculture, ate crops and things like that. Um, sorry, my slides aren't advancing very well here. One had to do with women's fashion at the time. It was very fashionable to wear these beautiful feathers on, on your hats. Now, two million birds a year were killed for the, the fashion industry. And all of this led to actually the extinction of a number of species, including the passenger pigeon. And this is kind of mind-boggling because the passenger pigeon was this um, amazing species that had this incredible abundance. Um, if a flock flew over you, it could take four hours for the whole flock to fly over you. It would blacken the sky. It would probably actually be pretty scary. Um, but that's how many birds there were. And it's hard to imagine that um, we, had, we hunted them so much that we actually drove them to extinction. And in fact, the last passenger pigeon died in a zoo in 1914. And for a while, that, that, that very passenger pigeon was on display at the Smithsonian here in Washington, D.C. Like, I don't know if they are current, she was currently. 
So, um, so Congress passed a number of laws to protect birds and created the Fish and Wildlife Service um, and our, our, our former agencies um, to help protect birds and many, many other species of wildlife. Just got a history of, of, of why we do what we do. And now kind of going a little bit of the science part of this, that um, what, how we conserve birds and other wildlife really requires biology um, and many other sciences to help us understand what, uh, um, what birds need uh, to survive. So hopefully a lot of you have heard about uh, bird migration. They migrate south in the fall and north in the spring, you might have heard. Um, and you might actually notice some of the different birds around you in the fall and the spring when you come through. So on the, on the map on, uh, on the left, at least on my left, I'm not sure how you're seeing it, um, of, the, of the continent of North America, there's that, uh, three different colors, um, blue up north and then orange in the bottom. So a lot of our migratory waterfowl, and that's ducks and geese and swans, they breed and nest, and they nest and raise their young up in Canada in, in northern latitudes of the United States. So we call that their breeding habitat. And that's great, there's lots of things to eat there and they love the, the little, all the ponds and lakes up there. Um, but obviously it gets cold up there in the winter and snows and free, all those lakes freeze over. And so the birds migrate down south in the winter. And so here in Maryland, we're generally a stopover habitat. So the birds fly from the north to the south and they spend some time here on their travels. And in the, in the, in the spring, they go in reverse from the south to the north. They'll spend some time here and travel north. There are some species that do um, travel here and spend the winter here too. We have a variety. Um, and what's interesting, what we found with our studies of birds is they, they kind of are grouped together in four different, we call flyways. Think of them as bird highways. And that's the other map with the, the, the red and the green, the blue and the black um, up in the north-south um, uh, lines. And those are the four different groups, uh, highways or flyways that the birds fly through. And so we are involved a lot of things to understand that. The reason we even know that, that we have these flyways that the birds migrate is from a variety of different ways that we study them. One way we do that is by banding them. And if, if you're older and you don't have a chance to do this, it's actually really fun and exciting to go out and do. What we do is we set out um, these traps for the birds that doesn't hurt them. Um, we, we capture them alive. We don't even have to tranquilize them or put them to sleep or anything. We can actually hold them. Um, and we put these metal rings on their, their feet. And um, on one of the pictures there, you see the pliers there, and some of the equipment that we use. And each band has a unique number on it. And what we do is if that bird is captured again, or if that, um, or, or if the bird is found dead or is hunted later on and we, we get that band back again, we can compare where we banded it and where that band is recovered and learn a lot about their movements and other things. Plus, because we have the birds in hand, it's not just about their movement, we can measure their size and their weight and their health and understand, just like um, when you go to the doctor. Another way we, we monitor birds and study them is through aerial surveys. The Fish and Wildlife Service actually owns a number of these planes and we fly with a, a pilot biologist and another observer and looking out the windows, we fly 
really slowly and low down to the ground to be able to um, look and count um, and identify the birds, which, which ducks they are and how many they are. And we use that to actually understand the whole population that was really important for the management. <clears throat> so I said a fun thing to do today would be a little bit interactive here. If you could um, call up your chat window, and I'll do that myself here. Um, so what I'm going to have you do is practice being a bird observer in an airplane. And first get you warmed up. And so the next couple of slides, I'm going to ask you to look at the picture really quickly and then chat how many birds you think there are. The first one's um, a nice little warm up here. Okay, ready? All right, this one's really easy. So, um, oh, I have a brief, they're going to fly away and, um, oh, they're gone. So, all right, everybody got that one right. There are indeed five birds in that one. Now, that was just to warm you guys up. <clears throat> Now, the next one is actually going to be a view from an airplane. So actually the view that some of our biologists would see. Okay. All right. Now they're flying over. Only have about uh, five or 10 seconds to count all those birds. And oh, we're flying away, flying away. And oh, they're gone now. All right. Let's see how you guys do. Let's see some, some guesses there. All right. Good guesses, good guesses. Actually, it was 91. So it's really hard, and we train a lot um, to be able to get this pretty accurately. I'm going to show you another one, but one technique we train our biologists to do is to try to count in groups of 10, because you have to go really quickly. If you try to count 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, you're never going to get up there. So try to pick out groups of 10 to your best and, and count up by 10s, all right? All right, we're going to pretend we're flying over another flock. Here we go. Flying over, counting the groups of 10. All right. All right, let's see some guesses there. All right, good job, everybody. It was 56, so I think one of you guessed 50, so right on. So, um, again, we, we spend a lot of time in the air and you get really good at identifying which species these are and counting them and we um we actually verify that and we actually have a computer simulation um you can actually view it online i can um, uh, post that later maybe with sarah the link to it where you can um, go in and you can say i'm a beginner and i want to count this many birds and then it will test you it'll do it'll show these images for about 10 seconds then you guess then it, then it will tell you that how, how off you are. You were 10% above or 10% below. And that's, how, that's a real simulation that we use to test our observers. And I'll, again, I'll, I'll give uh, MoCo kids that URL so if you guys are interested in doing that. So other ways that we um, uh, study birds. This is a really high-tech way and really come online in the last decade or so is satellite transmitters. I'm sure all of you have heard about GPS. We all have GPS on our cell phones these days. That's how we use Google Maps and things. And we can add a, a transmitter to many species of wildlife, all the way down to monarch butterflies, if you can believe it. They can, it's not a transmitter this big, it's really tiny. Um, and they collar big mammals like wolves and bears. 
And this is one that's specifically designed for birds about this size. And like I said, with banding, it requires you to actually recover that bird or that band to understand where it went. And those are just kind of two moments in time. With a satellite transmitter, we can be tracking them every minute or every half hour or every day and really get a great picture of where these birds are going. And they, what we've learned through these satellite transmitters is just the birds go incredible distances. So this is um, a bar-tailed godwit. There's a picture of it on your left. Um, and these lines represent the travel of about seven or, or nine different uh, godwits that we had put uh, transmitters on. And you see they go from all the way to Alaska, that's the one up north, all the way down to New Zealand and um, Australia. It's an incredible. They're traveling literally from the top of the world to the bottom of the world and then back again every year. And there's a number of species that travel that far. And just A, it's incredible that the birds migrate that far and that, um, and again, the use of our, this technology has really helped us learn so much more about birds. So we use all this information about birds and what they need to help conserve them and protect them. And one of the best things that we have to do is to protect their habitat, because if birds don't have any place to rest, to lay eggs, or to eat, uh, then they can't survive, right? And so um, the Fish and Wildlife Services manages a whole system of protected lands called the National Wildlife Refuge System. And they and many other places uh, birds can find home. And National Wildlife Refuges are created in many different ways. But one of the coolest ways that we are able to protect habitat is actually through public participation. And, and, and this whole program goes from the creation of art, in this case, um, a duck stamp. And this is not a stamp you put on an envelope. You pay $25 for it and you get an actual stamp. It's a beautiful stamp, it changes every year. And all of that money goes into buying habitat that protected in the National Wildlife Refuge System for, uh, for the birds, but also these places are open for you to go and enjoy the birds. Um, there are a number of National Wildlife Refuges even here in Maryland and in close to Montgomery County. So the Patuxent National Wildlife Refuge is a really big refuge um, right between Washington and Baltimore. It's right off of the I-95 highway. Um, from most places in Montgomery County, it's a 20 or 30 minute drive. That's some great hiking opportunities. And there's some lakes there. You can fish there and see a bunch of birds. And there's actually an amazing visitor center currently closed because of the pandemic. But when it's open, it's a great, great place to go. A really cool place to go and a place that was protected using those duck stamp dollars um, is the Blackwater National Wildlife Refuge. That's in the eastern shore of Maryland, about a two and a half hour drive. But when you go there at the right time of year, um, you can see an incredible different diversity of birds and numbers of birds. And I think we're used to seeing um, maybe a little a flock of blackbirds or crows or something like that, maybe 10 or 20 birds around Montgomery County for the most part, or just a couple birds in the backyard. Um, but here we're talking about tens of thousands of birds all at once. This is a pretty impressive site. So I want to talk about some ways that you can get involved. Um, and even, even as a kid, not just uh, having a career 
in this dialogue, which is really long. So I talked about the, the regular duck stamp and how that's used to, um, to, to raise money for the refuse system. Um, but there's a junior duck stamp. And if you believe it, this beautiful picture of a wood duck is actually a painting made by a kid. And so every year, every um, state has a junior duck stamp competition. And the, the winners of each state go up to a national competition. And the winner of that gets selected to be put on the stamp. And a number of the finalists get put into an annual calendar and get featured online. And a lot of the artwork, not just the winner, travels to uh, as an art exhibit. Um, and that's just a really, really fun program. Um, and uh, again, uh, kids, uh, many of your age, participate every year and are able to, to get ribbons and things like that. So um, really cool program um, where we're turning art uh, into conservation. And so I just love that. So kind of want to recap that this is um, math and science and technology are critical to wildlife conservation. And we need to understand um, what different species need, whether they're healthy or declining, whether they're in trouble and, and how we even do that. What, is, what do the different uh, animals eat? Um, and what are their other needs um, throughout the year? And there's the biology side of it, and there's the technology side of it. We talked about the radio transmitter and the satellite transmitter. Um, and there's a lot of computer modeling and all sorts of things like that. And right down to like flying planes, we actually have pilots on, on our staff. And drones, I don't know if you, if you have a, um, a drone at home for, for, for fun, um, but we even use those and some really big drones and we call them unmanned aerial systems to, to do all this work. So um, whether your interests are in the biology side or the technology side, there's lots of ways to contribute to conservation. And finally, I, I hope all of you have read and are a big fan of Dr. Seuss's Lorax. It's one of my favorite books. I give it away a lot. But, um, you know, the Lorax asks us, unless someone like you cares a whole awful lot, nothing's going to get better. It's not. So, it really is up to everyone to help the natural world and help each other. And I um, hope I've given you some ideas on how um, even you as a kid, um, kids have a lot of power and can do a lot of great things. So um, with that, I'm going to end my formal uh, presentation and uh, open it up for some questions and answers. Sarah, are you facilitating that? Yeah, thank you so much for your presentation. That was amazing. I learned a lot. And the bird thing was very interesting because for the first one, I was like, oh, it has to be like a 